Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, H-Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez in the background for us producing this thing. SportsRadio610.com. And we're here, Adam, it's James Harden reunion time, or at least we think so. Um, you know, it's funny, it didn't actually occur to me until later on Sunday as we were at NRG Stadium covering Deshaun Watson's return uh, to the Texans or to the to the NFL, actually, after having last played for the Texans in almost two years. It didn't actually occur to me that really, literally the next day it would be another return for James Harden and just the timing of all of that. And it's probably, probably because of the you know, Deshaun hadn't played in two years and the way programming works at Sports Radio 610 was a lot more focused on this. And it's just a, a bigger storyline. But here we are with James Harden coming back. And, um, and and obviously this has happened before. It's not like a like a new thing. But uh, but I am curious to what you think about James Harden specifically in this matchup, because it's important for Philly. He's missed what, about 14 games. Um, he the. the Meanwhile, the 76ers have played really well defensively, um, and James Harden is obviously a, a big part of what they want to do offensively. So I'm just curious of what you think about him coming back and what you're actually expecting from him. Well, it's act- it'll be the third time that he's come back. I mean, he came back what, a couple of months after the trade, then he came back here last year uh, yeah. with Brooklyn. So it's his third trip, and it's his second new team. So I guess there's, there's not a whole lot of novelty with it. Uh, and also – that whole Sixers team, that's a whole reunion just in and of itself where it's, yeah. there there are more – Eric Gordon, I think, has played has played more games with uh, with the Sixers, with the guys on the Sixers, and he's actually played with his own teammates. I have to actually go look and see if that's actually true. But well, it's, it's, five guys, it's like five guys, right? It's like five yeah, guys it, on the team. It's Harden. It's Tucker. It's House. Um, uh, Montrez Harrell is there. Obviously, you have Daryl Morey and Tad Brown in that front office. So, yeah, it's it's the South Jersey Rockets. Uh, so it'll be it, it's good just to kind of you can kind of you know reminisce on, on those times and you know organizationally, uh, those years were probably the best that they've had in decades. So it's it's uh, it, it's good to see uh, Harden does maintain um, just ties to the city. Uh, he still lives here uh, a good portion of, of the time, and he also he has relationships with guys on this current team. And I mean, you can go up and down the list with Kevin Porter Jr., uh, with uh, somebody like Josh Christopher, who wore his number at Arizona State, Jalen Green. Um, there, there are some relationships that he has, and also he was around them during the summer. He was around a lot of these young guys during the summer. They were playing pickup at Toyota Center uh, over the summer, and so they've had a chance to kind of you know see what he you know just what that's like up close and kind of you know form. A relationship with him so i think that's the interesting part of it and, and you'll see this tomorrow whether he plays or not but all those guys after the game i guarantee you will come up to him at one at, at one point uh and there might even be a fight over who gets his jersey at, at the end of the game I and mean, that that's how close the ties are you know jabari smith uh you know like i said porter like all these guys 
were part of, of the pickup games at Toyota Center over the summer. So that's something to keep an eye on. And they, they get up for games like that. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind here is it's it's not a lot different from when they play, you know, the Warriors, uh, the type of team that they aspire to be. Like James Harden, quietly now, or I guess not so quietly, I mean, everybody talks about how much does he have left in the tank. I mean, quietly now he's in his in his early 30s, to early to mid 30s. He's, he's got to be 33, 33 years old at this point. So and you compare that to, I mean, what do we know about the Rockets? Everybody is is under 20. All of the relevant players almost are under the age of 23 years old. So, like, they look up to James Harden. James Harden is like a – I mean, obviously he's one of the greatest offensive players that we've seen. And, you know, for them, like, they, they would obviously look up to a player like that who's, who's proven as much and has done as much in the league as he has. Um, I don't know. For me, it's, it's interesting reflecting. Uh, I was going to ask you how you reflect on the, on his legacy here, since this is a relatively new podcast and we haven't actually discussed it here on this particular platform. But I don't know. I, I, it's it's funny looking back on it. Like I don't know. For me, in some ways, you could blame James Harden for where the the Rockets found themselves. But at the same time, like he's unquestionably a top two or three Rocket of all time. And you know, provided some of the greatest moments in, in franchise history. I'm just curious how you how you reflect on his legacy here. You know, he's number two, and I don't think there's anyone. It's Kim Olajuwon one, and then James Harden two, and I don't think anyone really comes close after that. And he's a huge part of just kind of the renaissance that they had, just organizationally. I mean, you look the three years before the trade, they weren't a playoff team. They were right in the middle of that. You know, 40, 41, 42 win seasons not going to the playoffs, not being relevant at all nationally or even locally, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, no one, no one's talking about the Rockets back then. Um, and so he kind of put them back on the map. He played a, a fun style of basketball where they were getting up and down the floor and he got them back to relevancy very quickly. I mean, they, he gets traded, you know, five days before the season or whatever it was in 2012 and they make the playoffs that year. And I don't think anyone expected for that to be, a playoff team even after the trade and you go from 2013 making the playoffs to then 2014 they're finishing in the top half of the western conference and having home court advantage i mean they went to the playoffs eight straight years uh with james harden they got out of the first round five times they they had a home court advantage uh, in the first round so they finished in the top half of the western conference the toughest conference in basketball they were in the top half of it six times in eight years. They got to the conference finals a couple of times. They narrowly missed out on another uh, on a couple of other conference final appearances. So it was a very good era of basketball. They didn't get to exactly where they wanted to. They didn't accomplish everything, but they went up against one of the best teams of all time. So I don't think that you can consider the era any sort of a disappointment. You can't consider it anything but a success when you consider how it was formed. It really came out of nowhere, and you had – the Harden years with Dwight Howard, and then you had the Harden years post Dwight Howard, and they were both pretty successful at the end of the day. So I think it's it's an era, it's an eight-year stretch that will be remembered upon fondly. Now, the other part of it is just the way that it ended was ugly. And you know how do you balance the two? I, I think certainly the first eight years outweighed the last, but it was still an ugly exit without a question. Yeah, I think the ugly exit is what, stained it for me and probably the thing that lingered for a little while but i guess the point that i was making earlier is that i guess time and the 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 huge difference between 
you know, I, I guess the obvious difference between the whole Deshaun Watson thing, aside from the off field, you know, off the field and off the court type of stuff, there's nothing like that with James Harden, obviously. But the the huge difference between the two is that, you know, the James Harden thing, you've had a couple of years, as you mentioned, this is going to be his third. He's already come back twice now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be his third time coming back. So, so time has been able to provide a little perspective and be able to kind of look at it like that, kind of the way you put it, that the, that the eight years of success sort of outweigh the way it ended. And, and, and not just that, Adam, honestly, I would look at it like this, like as ugly as the ending was, it did need to end. It, it was, and I don't think I looked at it this way maybe at the time, but I, I do think it was time for it to end one way or another. It, it would just been more ideal if it had not ended perhaps the way it did. It, it was just ugly and public, I guess would be the, you know, if, if, if they, if there's not the whole, the press conference after that Lakers game and this, this whole situation is crazy and just kind of the day and a half that lingered after that, I think it's, a little different, uh, but he gave them eight years. And I think that's the big difference between him and Deshaun Watson is that Watson jumped out. He, he jumped ship as soon as he could and, and Harden stuck around. You know, they had, they had that bad year in 2016 where they go 41 and 41. They fire McHale uh, after 11 games that season and they could never really get it figured out. And the whole thing with Dwight Howard is completely falling apart and he stuck with it and he could have asked out. There were, there were ways that he could have, gone to the Lakers he could have waited and, and gone to free agency you know, but he signed the extension very quickly and so he gave them that that was the second iteration of the team I think a lot uh, with a lot of guys you don't see the second iteration of that team you just see the player jump ship as soon as as soon as he has the opportunity Harden stuck it out and you saw what Daryl Morey was able to build around him and it contributed and also Mike D'Antoni and it contributed to the four best years of Harden's career all right, what do you what do you make of this team? Or Harden with this team, uh, with the Sixers, man? They've gone eight and six without him. Um, it looks like they've had the league's best defensive rating in this stretch, according to cleaning the glass. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out where the Sixers exactly fit in the overall NBA ecosystem. We talk about the Rockets. We already know what's going on there. But what do you make of the Sixers, obviously, with James Harden. I can't say that I that I've kept up with them real closely. Uh, they've just been so banged up. Harden's missed some time, and Bede's missed some time. Now Tyrese Maxey has been out also. So it, it's just a really hard team to get an age of just because of how injured that they've been. But I, I feel like if they're healthy, they're very, very good and very formidable, and they've got some depth. Uh, but until then, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to win games with just Joel Embiid. It's really hard to to win basketball games that way. Um, you saw it in the postseason last year. They weren't healthy then, but you know there were stretches, especially in that Toronto series where they looked really good. I thought Toronto would give them some problems and maybe even win that series. And they go out and they win the first three games of that series, and they gave a couple back afterwards, but then they just completely dominated them in game six. I think they won game six by 35 points on the road in Toronto, and Harden was awesome in that game. That was probably one of his best playoff games uh, in a long time. So I do think there's there, there's a high ceiling for that team. But you just have to see all of them on the floor together, and we really just haven't gotten to see a lot. of I think the fact that they're over 500 at this point, uh, it speaks to just how good those guys actually can be. Yeah, here in the 14 games that Harden's been out, 
they've also been without Tyrese Maxey for eight games, Joel Embiid for five, uh, Matisse Thibel for three games, and Tobias Harris missed two. Um, and, and Maxey's still out, it looks like, with the, with the foot fracture or the fracture in his foot. So, like you said, this is an incomplete team. It's hard to really get a gauge, uh, get, get a gauge on them. And James Harden coming back is certainly going to be something that'll help them a lot. All right, let's talk about the, the weekend that was with the Rockets. Okay, now I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'd like to just forget that the that the Warriors game happened. Um, but let's just start with this. What did you learn, or what should we have learned, or take away from them splitting? with the Suns and the Warriors, obviously beating the Suns and losing to the Warriors. They've got, I think we said this last week. They've got fight, and they're, they will fall behind. They will dig themselves into a deep hole, but they know how to dig themselves out of a hole. Uh, it would probably be prudent if they stopped doing, doing the things that they've been doing, but they at least have the talent uh, to get out of a jam if they're in one. And, and I do, do think that you also saw, more so last night than anything else, just how Bruno Fernando can help them and what he adds to the team, especially last night, just the energy and the size and in the, and the springiness that he has. I think it's something that they've been missing. And I think it's something that they helped that, that really helped them in last night's game. And, and I've said this many times and I'll probably say it many times more, but I do wonder how much longer until Steven Silas makes a shift to the starting lineup and puts him in there with that starting unit. All right, well, let's go there then. Cause I had that down on the rundown, Bruno Fernando shows up as the pick and roll threat, the lob threat. And this is something that you've written about. I want to say about at least a week ago, I guess whenever it was that Bruno came back from injury about how he could unlock that for, uh, or at least unlock that element of the Rockets offense that you don't really see a lot of when he's not out there. So, uh, so let's expand on that, man. Bruno Fernando, you, you think that, so, so he, you think he's going to be inserted at the five in place of Shingun? Shingun, we've talked about him, or at least you've mentioned liking him best with that second unit. Um, whenever you talk about maybe running an offense through him, maybe that's the second unit where that's the best place to do that. Is is that what you see happening at some point? Do you think that's best for them? Yeah, I don't know yet. I, I'm still waiting to see um, if they if they adjust because you saw that at the start of the year, and I don't know if maybe. Uh, that was just an experiment for those first two games. And then Fernando gets hurt. And if maybe they were just intending on bringing, you know, on putting Shingun back into the starting lineup at some point, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. But I do think that you see how much value that Fernando has. And, you know, one of the things that I wrote was that the Rockets were running pick and roll. Only four teams in the league were running pick, more pick and roll than the Rockets. But the Rockets were the fourth worst team when it came to running pick and roll. And a lot of that was just, they didn't have a very good role, man. You know, the, their four most frequent used role guys, um, you know, uh, Shingun and Jabari Smith Jr. and KJ Martin and Usman Garuba are, have been well below average just at being able uh, to get you points when they're used as a role, man. And the Rockets still run a lot of pick and roll and it still hasn't been very good, but there are signs that it's getting better there. They now are, they went from fourth worst uh, to fifth worst. So, I mean, that's some progress and it, it's much, that's as much incremental progress as you can make over a, a very small stretch of games where you haven't had that many possessions, but I do think that you can see it, especially, and he's got some chemistry with Kevin Porter jr. So I do think that just having that lob threat helps. It brings attention to him. So it, it provides some space and other parts of the floor for other guys. So I, I do think that's, 
you saw Fernando start to play a little bit more last night. I do think that you'll continue to see those minutes go up. I don't know if you'll see it necessarily in the starting lineup, uh, but I, I kind of feel like it's, it might not be the worst idea, um, but we'll have to see because they seem to at least right now be relatively committed to Shengun being the starting center. The chemistry with Kevin Porter Jr. that you mentioned, though, is the thing that really stands out to me. Like, the, like that chemistry is actually really, really good. And you saw that, I think, in the fourth quarter of the Suns game. It was after Jalen Green kind of takes over in that third quarter. He's got the 20 points in the third quarter. A lot of it getting to the line. Um, and, and that's something to maybe even discuss as well. I thought that was a, a really important game for, for Jalen Green. But how lucky was that ending though to that suds game i mean you look if you look back on how that ended i want to say at least two offensive rebounds for the suns maybe three and or maybe the third possession that i'm thinking about is when kevin porter jr is saving it but it goes back to a suns player and they get it to uh to to devin booker at the end there and he misses the shot i mean as much credit as I, as I want to give them, and you mentioned it earlier about the fight that they put in, and I don't want to discredit that, but how lucky was that ending to get to the Suns game for them oh, to have like three shots at it? It was lucky, but also the officials missed a foul. There was a loose ball foul on uh, on DeAndre Ayton against Bruno Fernando that wasn't called, and that was in the last two-minute report. So Yeah, yeah, true. So, so you had the, uh, the first campaign miss. And then Aiton fouls Fernando on the rebound. So that should have been it right there. Uh, but instead, the Suns wind up getting three more shots. So you have uh, Booker misses a 20-foot step back. Michael Bridges uh, gets the rebound off of that. Bridges misses a putback layup. That's when Porter gets the rebound and he tries to save it. But he saves it to uh, Damian Lee, who gets it to Booker, who missed the 16-footer at the buzzer. So you have those three shots. But those three shots should have never happened because the officials missed a loose ball foul. Yeah. So certainly it, it, it was lucky that they won the game because because you look at who's shooting the ball. I mean, that's Devin Booker getting two of those shots, and the other one is from Michael Bridges on a putback. I mean, you figure that the odds of them missing all three of those shots are very low, but in a sense, they also got unlucky that it even came to that. Also, though, I'm talking about luck here, but that first Devin Booker shot, that was good individual defense by Jalen yes. Green and a very good contest by him. I, yes. I thought – I thought his individual defense on Booker at the end of that game contributed to him not making that shot. Now, that that clean look that he got at the end made me really nervous because I'm thinking, okay, well, that's it. Because that would have counted had he made that, even uh, despite them missing that. I mean, two-minute report, my, you know what? I mean, they would have won that game if he had uh, if he had made that shot. So, But you're right, obviously. It, none of that. It, sh- it should have not have come to any of that. But also – credit to Jalen Green, who, again, had that 20-point third quarter, um, went to the line at least 14 times, Adam, didn't he? I mean, almost hit a career high on free throw attempts. I want to say it was 15 going into that game. but 15. Yeah. but Only made 12. That number, you know, you got to get to 13. You don't want to be 75% if you're going to the free throw line that often. It would be – you know, that, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was one of the things that made James Harden so good is that he got to the line a million times, but he also never missed from there. So you got to be a little bit better than 75% if you're going to go go to the line 16 times. Yeah, and and I, I think it'll get better there too. Uh, he even missed a – was it the Suns game or the Warriors game where he missed a technical? 
He made, he went there to shoot a technical and missed it. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, you, you, you got to get these easy ones, Jalen. I mean, and it's not it's not like you know the, the better he gets, the the more important I think it is going to be for him to hit those foul shots because I mean his shots are just going to get harder. You know the way he's guarded night in and night out. Yeah, he, he's 79% from free throw from the free throw line this year. Again, that's still very good. Um, but I think with anyone, you just want that shot to be a little bit more consistent, a little bit better. I mean, James Harden for his career is an 86% free throw shooter. So, you know, th- those are points that you're leaving out on the table. And when you are getting to the line as often as Jalen Green can, I think it's important that he's able to do that. Now, you brought up Green and you brought up, you know, the third quarter and just how important that it was. I, I thought what was most impressive to me about, you know, a 20 point third quarter in the NBA, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And it's really, really tough to do. But all the shots that he made, here's just here are the shots that he made. All right. I'm going to run them down to you. Layup, dunk, layup, step back three, eight foot floater, layup. He got to the line eight times and then he makes six shots. Only one of them was a three. The other five shots came in the paint. So the fact that he's attacking the rim, getting to the rim and finishing at the rim, I thought that's what was most impressive because oftentimes, especially with him, and this is young players in general, when you score in bunches like he did in that quarter, so much of it is from the three-point line. And sometimes you fall in love with that shot. But he only took three threes in that quarter. He made one of them, but he got to the rim. He got into the paint, and that's where he did all of his damage in that quarter. Yeah, I think about a couple of plays stand out to me from that game. It's the drive against Booker where he gives him a little body at the end, and he talks a little noise after he after he scores there. But I thought that was a like a <laughs> that was a big boy drive to the basket there. That one's in the third quarter, I think. And then maybe it's in the fourth quarter where he's going against campaign and he's going for a floater and he gets fouled. Um, I think that was later in the game. I don't think that was the third quarter. That might have been in the fourth quarter. But those are two like really, I thought like just more so than just the more so than like how we focused on him missing those free throws. I really thought it was impressive that he was attacking the rim, kind of like you mentioned. I thought it was impressive that he was attacking the basket. Those two plays that I mentioned to me were more indicative of how just kind of how aggressive he was and sort of what his mentality was in that game. I was really impressed by that. Yeah, he, he's got that. And he's, you know, I, I do think one of the negatives with him last year, like I think he, especially early in his career, his best scoring games where he had the one game, I think it was against Boston really early last year where he made eight threes and everyone's, you know, wow, he made eight threes and, and scored 30. He's the, like the youngest guy since Kobe to score 30. Well, so much of it was from the three-point line. I want you to be more well-rounded. So I want you going to the rim. I want you getting to the free throw line. So when, when he's able to do that, when he's able to get to the line 16, and that's against a really good team too. That's not against, you know, uh, Orlando or Oklahoma City or a team that's going to be in the lottery. That's a team that has a chance to win a championship. So when you can score 20 and a quarter against that type of a team and not, and it's not like a fluky thing where you're just making a bunch of threes, that's impressive. And that's what, that that's how, that's how you become a scoring champion. And that's how you wind up, you know, getting the all-star games off of quarters like that. Any takeaways from the Warriors game? I mean, this is probably, um, <laughs> I guess for me early on, <laughs> It was just so obvious and clear how much better <laughs> the Warriors are. And it's not like 
you know, newsflash, the Warriors are better than the Rockets. But so early in that game, it was like maybe sort of similar to the previous game that they played. It's like, man, they just do everything so much better. They're so much more uh, in sync and, and I don't know, they just do everything well. Um, and I don't know, that was kind of the, the big thing to me, just how far apart the two teams are. What were your takeaways from that game? Um, playing six games in nine nights is really, really tough. I don't care how young you are. And that's what the Rockets were in were in last night. That that was really it, – it's not a schedule loss because they, were, they would have lost the game in all likelihood had they been, you know, playing for the first time in three nights. But to play six games in nine nights with that group, they were shorthanded because Gordon's not playing second nights of back-to-backs. That's just a really – it's a that's a tough ask for a team to be able to do. And you could see early on they, they were just tired and – it's not, you know, the defense on the trip was bad, especially early in games. And they're giving up 40 points in the first quarter, basically in all four of those games in the last three, they're down an average of 15 points in the first quarter, but you could see it last night where just the offense, the bad offense was what led to the Warriors having a big first quarter because they just, they couldn't get into anything. They weren't getting good shots. They weren't working hard enough for good shots. And they, because they're being forced into tough shots, the Warriors are getting rebounds, they're getting runouts, and uh, it just made for a very difficult situation. And I think it, it's, I don't think it's coincidence that the best units that played on the that that played for them against Golden State were the bench units because those guys were fresh. They hadn't really had to pile up all the minutes that the starters had. So that's really all that I take from it. I, I will say, um, you did see some important stuff from the bench guys, and. Uh, these are, we'll get one of them in particular in a minute, but yeah, I, I do think that you can take some positives out of that, but um, it, it would be nice if they could, you know, not give up 40 points in a, in a first quarter. It, it makes it a whole lot easier to win games and be competitive in these games, but that's just, you know, that's one step. Uh, I do think it, it's really hard to play Alfred Shingun against Golden State. They just move the ball. So everything's just so quick with them. And they just they take advantage of him at every step, and I do think that you saw how Fernando's just the way that he he he's just a better mover, and he can protect the rim a little bit. And I think that they really miss that when he's not on the floor. Yeah, well, you mentioned bench guys. I like Tari Eason in both games. Uh, he was he had thirteen and ten against Golden State, but this was also uh, over the weekend. Josh Christopher um, had his best game. What do you? What do you make of Josh Christopher? Yeah, I mean, is he is he playing and is he playing his way into getting some more minutes? Obviously, we've talked about this in the past how he's kind of just been the 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 odd man out. Uh, what do you what do you make of what he was able to do? You know, the box score it's not going to jump out at you. Eleven minutes, six points, two of four shooting, didn't have a rebound, had one assist, but there was one specific play where um, it's I think it's the third quarter the Warriors are in zone and he's on the, he's set up behind the three point line on the left wing. And uh, I think it was Jonathan Kaminga uh, gets caught out of position and, and and closes out way too hard or way too long on Garrison Matthews. And Matthews gets the ball to Christopher on the wing and the Warriors defense is scrambled. And so the next guy who's in the corner runs towards um, Christopher and Christopher goes gets the ball to the corner to Tari Eason um and then Eason has time to just drive baseline and get himself a bucket and it's not a big play it's not anything that's really going to stand out 
but it was it showed some growth with Christopher where he saw it, he recognized it, and then he made a quick decision to get the ball uh, to Eason and give themselves a chance. And you know, one of the things that Christopher has struggled with is decision making, and seeing that. Those are little plays that get you on the floor. Those are little plays that are going to give you some more minutes. And then he he followed that up and played really well after that. So um, I don't think it necessarily means he's going to be, boom, right in the rotation on Monday night against Philadelphia. But it does show that there's some that there that it did kind of remind you don't don't give up on him just yet. And I think and and I know for me, didn't play at all against Phoenix. He did not play at all in the first half of the game against the Warriors. And I'm thinking this guy might not even make it to the trade deadline. He might be one of these guys where they need a roster spot and they just move him to get off the contract for next year. But he did show that there's something there. They still really like him. He's just got to take advantage of the opportunities. And you've seen it many, many times where Garrison Matthews is the guy who will take advantage of the opportunity. You saw last night it was Christopher who took advantage of his. Yeah, and you love to see it because I know he's a really hardworking kid and everybody – everybody likes Josh Christopher a lot. And and so he's easy to root for and somebody that you want to succeed. I don't know, for me, it's just really hard envisioning a, a spot for him. When you think about Dacian Knicks being sort of a better, a better point guard and they have better options as scoring options. Um, and then Tata Washington is, you know, doing his thing with with the with the Vipers, um, and is somebody that I think is going to have at least a shot or an opportunity to make an impression at some point. So I just wonder, you know, I love to see the game from him and love to to, to see kind of him have these moments whenever he does get these opportunities. But it, it still, for me, raises that question, or, or that question I should say is still there of where does he fit in the grand scheme of things when, when you, when you consider what, what else they've got there in, in the, the spots where he played. No, he he's clearly behind the other guys, but the talents there, I, I think we all know the talents there. You just need to see him improve. And what he did last night, just again, it's a, it's a very small play in a game, but I don't think that he makes that pass and it's, and it seems like a simple pass, but the game is moving so quickly. You know, the warriors are in zone but for the game to have slowed down enough for him to be able to see that play to Eason, I do think it shows some growth and it does show that he's getting better. You might not necessarily see it on the floor because he's not getting minutes, but it is there. And so I do think that it's a step and naturally what development is development is just taking step after step, after step, after step until you become a really good player. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But the fact that he, he saw that I, I think shows that, he's there there's still something there and there's still an opportunity for him to really make something of himself on this team because there will be minutes that open up guys will get hurt guys might get traded so minutes will be there it's just a matter of again do you take advantage of the minutes when you get them and so far this season he had not done that last night he did yeah i think two really good examples on the team if you want to talk about guys who took advantage of their opportunities or have taken advantage of their minutes and now have solidified roles on this team you would look at kj martin and, and jay sean tate even before him like like guys who you know could have very easily you know uh, kj as a second round pick and, and we all know jay sean's uh his his route to the nba guys who, who could have easily found them found themselves out of the rotation um but 
uh, found a role and found a sort of found an identity and a niche for themselves. Uh, obviously, different types of players, but just talking about guys who um, who stuck around long enough to make an impression and, and got got their opportunities and made the most of them. Those are two teammates of his that would be, I think, really good act, uh, really good examples to look at. Honestly, I think I think a better example is is Easton from this year. Yeah, oh yeah, no, total, hundred percent. I'm looking at guys that are that are ahead of him, but Eason is a great example. I, I think like with, with Tate, it suffered because there's nobody else. So they didn't have any players, you know, two years ago. So he was going to play, and he was healthy, and he played basically that entire season. And then I, I do think Martin's a good example, especially from last year, where the minutes weren't there for him early in the season. He was playing behind some guys, and then you know he he was good, so he he kind of created a role for himself, but. I don't know if anyone thought that really you could say Christopher last year, Steven Silas even said he didn't expect Josh Christopher to be in his rotation last year, but Christopher was so good that he couldn't keep him off the floor. And I do think that if you're Josh Christopher and you hear that, you still have an opportunity to get yourself back in the rotation. It's just all about what you do when you're on the floor. And if you continue to show growth. So um, there are a million examples and really Josh Christopher just has to look at himself as one of those examples. But, you know, Easton was a guy, I don't know if he necessarily would have thought that he was going to be in the rotation, no matter what he did in summer league um, over the summer, but he, he played well during preseason. He continued to play well during the regular season. And so it's gotten to the point where he's going to be on the floor. You could say the same thing for Usman Garuba this year, where Garuba was a little bit of an afterthought, but, he, he got an opportunity when Fernando got hurt, and now he it almost feels like there are times where he's ahead of Fernando in the rotation. All right, the Rockets are at home for what is it eight of the next nine games? I don't think they I don't think they leave Texas, the state of Texas until after Christmas, possibly the way it's looking because they've got San Antonio on Thursday where they got a lot of these games at home. And it'll be cool. It'll be pretty cool to have them back home. Um, they've been on the road a lot this year. Be cool to have them home at the Toyota Center, be able to take in some Rockets games. So this week we've got obviously Monday, the James Harden return, hosting the Sixers. And then, um, of course, you're going out, going out to San Antonio to face the Spurs before you come back next Sunday against Milwaukee. Um, and host Milwaukee in in the Phoenix Suns in uh, in back to back games or Sunday and the following Tuesday. So um, so we'll be back. That's H Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane. Big thanks to Austin Mendez in the background. Make sure you guys are subscribing, rating, reviewing, and if you're listening right now, you've probably already done those things. But at the very least, uh, tell somebody else about the podcast and uh, help us grow the audience and bring people in. Um, and until next time. We'll see you guys.